You just waited 15 seconds in silence. Feel like a lot longer than anyone? I rediscovered something this past week. I hate waiting. Anybody else hate waiting? The rest of you are saints. That's great. Awesome. Glad you're here. I was uh, scheduled to have a Zoom call with uh, three other pastors, two of which I'd never met before. And it wasn't just a social visit. We actually had to get something done. I know a lot of you think us pastors just kind of goof off all week and then show up on Sunday, but it, it was for a purpose. And uh, so it was scheduled for 1.30 p.m., so I logged in to Zoom. Speaking of things I hate, Zoom calls. Can we just all agree that while we're thankful for technology, that Zoom just needs to, like, go away permanently? Anyway, so I logged on to Zoom, and two of the three pastors were already on the Zoom call, and then one, who I'd never met before, was not. And apparently he had texted one of the other pastors and said he was going to be a few minutes late. Notice I said a few minutes late. And so we just kind of small talked as we waited for him to join. Five minutes went by, not a big deal. But then 10 minutes went by, then 15 minutes went by, and then 20 minutes went by, and then 25 minutes went by, and then 30 minutes went by, and then 35 minutes went by, 40 minutes went by, 45 minutes went by. And if you're wondering why I didn't get off the call sooner, I'll tell you, because I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to be patient. And I didn't want to be the first one. Like, you know, all three of us are pastors. We're kind of waiting for who's going to be the first one to be like, I'm out. I didn't want it to be me. But after 45 minutes, I was all out of fruit. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Yeah, completely out. So I was the first to say, you know what, guys? I'm done waiting. Like, 45 minutes... I'm done waiting. We can try again some other time. And I logged off. And about 15 minutes later, I got a text. He's ready now. Great. I'm not. I don't like waiting. But I think that's a pretty normal human thing. Like, none of us like to wait. Even Pastor Mike doesn't like to wait. A couple years ago, he and I went to India. And uh, India is hot and humid. And the time of year we went, it was especially hot and humid. And if you know Pastor Mike, you know he does not like the heat. And so we got to India, and uh, one of the nights, he was supposed to give the message at this outdoor service. Notice I said it's outdoors, it's still super hot out even though it's night. And uh, in India, they would have the, the main speaker come up on stage at the beginning of the service, and they would sit down facing the audience, which was just awesome. So uh, Mike is sitting there facing all of us as the service starts, and they start with worship, and you know he's clapping and smiling and having a great time, and uh, then worship continues, and then worship continues. 30 minutes go by, Mike's still clapping, just not as exuberantly. 35 minutes go by, 45 minutes go by, an hour goes by, worship, announcements. At this point, Mike is no longer smiling. He is dripping sweat. It continues. Hour 15 minutes goes by. Hour and a half goes by. Mike is still yet to get up and give the talk, and he just looks miserable. It's awesome. (laughs) And so he continues to wait. Hour 45 minutes goes by. Two hours go by. Worship, announcements. 
he is still yet to give to get up and give his sermon. And he's dripping sweat. He just looks miserable. And there's this awesome moment where he looks out in the audience and we like make eye contact. And I do what any good associate youth pastor should do in that moment. I just start laughing. <laughs> like this totally made the 18 hour flight worth it. We don't like waiting. Have you ever had to wait for something or someone? Of course you have. Waiting is an inevitable part of life. I don't know anyone that likes it, but on occasion we have to deal with it. Whether it's simple things like waiting at the doctor's office, waiting in line at the grocery store, waiting for a parent to pick you up from school, waiting for a a table at a restaurant, waiting for a delayed flight, that's always fun. As human beings, we don't like waiting, but it's just part of life. In fact, it's interesting if you think about it, so much of human ingenuity over the past hundred years has been to shorten our wait time. Microwaves, fast food restaurants, self-checkout at stores, my favorite, Amazon Prime, Netflix, we no longer have to wait week to week for our favorite television shows, we can now just binge watch them back to back to back to back. Even our washing machines... I recently discovered this. Maybe you knew about this. I do do wash in my house, by the way. But I recently discovered that our washing machine has a quick wash cycle. Did you know about this? Like, apparently, it is no longer, uh, it's no longer acceptable to do wash in 50-minute increments, right? Like a normal 50-minute cycle. Oh, no, now we have a 20-minute quick wash. I don't know how clean your clothes get in 20 minutes, but if you're in a hurry, 20-minute quick wash is available to you. Yes, in 2021, so much of our waiting has been shortened or eliminated, and yet, there are some things that no amount of human ingenuity or willpower can shorten. And I'm sure we can all think of seasons of life, situations, where we found ourselves waiting. Maybe some of you are in that season now. Maybe you're waiting for a situation in your family to improve, family members to make amends. Maybe you're waiting for a better friend group. Maybe you're waiting for your marriage to improve. Maybe you're waiting for Mr. or Mrs. Wright to come into the picture. Maybe they're in the room right now. Here, let's do this. All the single people in the room that are on the market, just raise your hand and look around. Both, <laughs> no, just, that was a joke. That only works in youth group, typically. <laughs> youth group, that goes over well. Or maybe you're just in a season where you're waiting for the next season. You're in high school and you're waiting for college. You're in college, you're waiting to enter the job force. You're waiting to get married. You're waiting to have kids. You're waiting for the kids to get out of the house. Waiting for retirement. Waiting for grandkids. Maybe you're just in this season where you're just waiting for that next season. You ever felt like you were waiting on God? Waiting for God to just do something, to show up, to fix something, to intervene, to just show you that he actually exists and that he actually cares. I believe one of the most difficult things in life for followers of Jesus is when we go through seasons of life where it feels as if God is absent or silent or uncaring, uninvolved, and nothing changes. This week as we start our Christmas series, BC, before Christmas, 
don't know about you, but I love the Christmas season. Love it. Anyone else love the Christmas season? It's my favorite time of year. The rest of you are Grinches. It's okay. We love you. We're glad you're here. I love Christmas. Love the lights, the decorations, the food, the movies, the music, the trees, all of it. Of course, the Christmas story. And I love the first few days when everything's new and you start celebrating and you bring out all the decorations and you get the lights out. You start listening to the music. You know, the first few days, like this past Friday was the first day, right? Thank you for that. Some of you are like, Pastor John, I don't have a problem waiting. Oh, really? When did you start decorating for Christmas? That's what I thought. I rest my case. And the Christmas story, you know, when we start talking about the Christmas story, typically when we start about the, we talk about the beginning of the Christmas story, we talk about an angel coming to Mary, telling her that she would be pregnant with the Messiah. But really, the Christmas story begins much before that. Hundreds of years, in fact, before that, with prophecies that were f- that foretold to the, the nation of Israel that a Messiah was on the way. Today, we're going to take a look at one of those prophecies in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. And my prayer for all of us today, especially for those of us that find ourselves in a season of waiting, that as we read Isaiah 9 and as we explore the circumstances surrounding Isaiah 9, that those of us in a season of waiting would find hope and encouragement this Christmas season. So Isaiah 9, starting in verse 2, going through verse 7. Isaiah writes, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So in Isaiah 9, Isaiah prophesies to the nation of Israel. And he says, as you read through that, you, he, he says there's a time coming where a light, a light has dawned. There's going to be hope. We're going to be rejoicing. We're going to be burning all of our, our boots for war. We're not going to have to fight anymore. Like the, the people that oppress us will no longer be oppressing us. Like Isaiah paints this beautiful picture of this season of life that's going to be amazing for the, the people of Israel. Which is especially good news for the readers of Isaiah 9 because Isaiah has just finished telling them that there's going to be a very dark season first before the good season. Isaiah 8, Isaiah tells them, he warns them that a season is quickly approaching that's going to be very, very difficult. I'll just read one verse from Isaiah 8. So Isaiah 8, verse 22, Isaiah prophesies this. He says, They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. I don't care who you are, that doesn't sound good. Distress Darkness, fearful gloom. Sounds like a Monday in Wisconsin after the Packers lose. But that's not what Isaiah is talking about. Isaiah says a very difficult season of life is coming 
for our nation. But don't worry. Isaiah continues in Isaiah 9. He says, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. Isaiah says, a light has dawned. Don't worry. A child is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Savior is coming that's going to change everything. Dark days are coming, but after that, good days are going to come in the form of a Savior. But here's where it gets tricky. Isaiah wrote those words around 720 BC. Do you see the problem? Isaiah wrote those words 720 years before Jesus shows up on the scene. 720 years, that's a long time, folks, right? Like 720 years ago, it was 1301 uh, BC, or AD, excuse me, 1301 AD. That's a long time ago. Or imagine if I were to get up here today and say, all right, church, like I know it's been a rough couple years, the pandemic and everything, I know times are tough, and uh, God has shown me that actually things are just going to get worse, like buckle your seatbelt, it's going to be a rough couple years coming up, like it's going to be super gloomy, but here's the good news, God is sending someone that's going to save you and, and do everything we need him to do in about 720 years. I don't know about you, I don't know how encouraged I would feel leaving church, right? Like it's time to find a different church, that guy, I don't know what that guy's thinking. 720 years. That's a long time. Isaiah says, a light has dawned and a child is coming. But it was going to be 720 years before that child showed up. And you thought your child was slow moving. So what is this light that Isaiah says has dawned? I mean, the light is Jesus, but it's, but it's much more than Jesus. It's not just Jesus. Isaiah says, a light has dawned. What is that light? That light is hope. Isaiah writes in 720 BC and he says, a light has dawned and that light is hope. What is that hope? That God is at work in what they're going through. That it's all not just random chaos and random conflicts and and, and just pain and suffering and there's no point to it all. The world's not headed anywhere. It's just all random and then we die. Like The hope is that God is at work in all the chaos. The hope is that the world is headed somewhere, that God has a plan, that it's not just all random, that everything we go through has a purpose, that in 720 BC, God is still working. That's the hope. Because, I mean, think about it. Was God doing anything between 720 BC and the birth of Jesus? Was God doing anything? Or was he just sitting up in heaven, focused on other things, playing heavenly board games with the angels? Maybe Monopoly, because we all know that could take 720 years. And then suddenly he's like, oh my goodness, look at the time. Like, guys, why didn't we set a timer? It's been 720 years. Someone should probably send Jesus down. Is that what happened? No, of course not. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 4, but when the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman. When the right time came. God was at work preparing the world for the perfect moment to send Jesus. He wasn't just ignoring the world. He wasn't just absent. He wasn't just not paying attention. He was very much at work in everything that was happening. There was purpose in everything. He was preparing the world for the right time to send his son. Does that make waiting those 720 720 years easy? No, of course not. No, generation after generation in Israel wouldn't see the promised Messiah. 
Shortly after Isaiah's prophecy, they would in fact be attacked. There, it would be a gloomy season, a horrible season. They'd be ruled by the Assyrians. There'd be death, there'd be chaos, there'd be destruction. Fast forward around 140 years, around 586 BC, the Babylonians would attack, destroy the temple. Most of the Jews would be forced out of their homeland into exile. Around 538 BC, the Jews would be allowed back home and begin the rebuild. Then a couple hundred years later, around 332, they'd be conquered by Alexander the Great. More chaos, more destruction, more death. A couple hundred years later, around 63 BC, Jerusalem would be conquered by the Roman Empire. The same Roman Empire we read about in the birth of Jesus. And in all of the different civilizations that would come in and take over, there'd be death and destruction and chaos. But in it all, God was working. There was hope. And here's the hope. God doesn't waste a season of waiting. In the waiting, God is working. That's the hope. In 720 BC and in 500 BC and in 2021 AD, the hope is that in the chaos we experience, in the pain, in the discomfort, in the frustration, in the waiting, God is still at work. He hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't forgot about us. He's with us and he's working. He doesn't always cause the bad things in our life, but he does promise to work through them. That's the beauty of the God that created you and me. Some of us are in a season of waiting and we just, we don't feel like God's paying attention. Parents of prodigals. Some of you, you, your kids grew up and they turned their back on the faith and it's painful, it's disappointing, it's frustrating, it's heartbreaking. And it doesn't feel like God cares Can I just encourage you today that in your waiting that God is working? That God hasn't forgot about your child. He hasn't abandoned your child. He hasn't said, well, your child's made too many bad choices. They're on their own. Like, that's not the way God works. Quite the opposite. God is able to take their bad choices choices and turn it around for good. I was reading a biography uh, by a guy named Scott Harrison. Uh, Scott Harrison is the founder of Charity Water. Now, you may have heard of Charity Water. It's one of the leading organizations around the world that brings uh, clean water to people in third world countries that are drinking disgusting, dirty water that's making them sick and causing them to die. Um, and so Scott Harrison does great work. His, his organization, I encourage you to check them out if you've never heard of them. Um, our youth group has actually raised money to build two wells through Charity Water um, in third world countries. But I was reading his biography, and Scott Harrison grew up in church, heard all the right things, you know, was told all the right things. And then as soon as he got out of high school, he tried to get as far away from church as he could. So he ended up in New York as a nightclub promoter. Pretty far from church. And uh, so he spent 10 years in the nightclubs, promoting nightclubs, uh, doing all the things you shouldn't, right? Drugs, alcohol, sex, right? The whole nine yards, anything that his parents didn't want him to do, he did. Uh, he was selling $70, $70 bottles of water to celebrities, right? Like promoting nightclubs, getting people in the doors, getting people to spend money. Like that was, that was his job for 10 years. And then at the end of the 10 years, he, he came to a realization that he, he wasn't happy. It wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't, it wasn't what he wanted to do with his life. And so after those 10 years, um, he decided as kind of penance, 
um, to make it up to God, he decided to give a year back to God of his life. And so in his early 30s, he decided to go on a mission trip for a year and donate his services to whoever would take him. Crazily enough, a lot of organizations didn't want him. I, I don't know why. But eventually, an organization said, we'll take you. And so he went with uh, a missions group that did surgeries in third world countries uh, for, for people that couldn't afford these surgeries, or there were no doctors in these countries, um, or not enough doctors. And so he went along, and he, he didn't have any medical experience, so he uh, was a photographer for the group for a year. And it was there that he saw the need for clean drinking water. So much of the disease, so much of the problems was because of um, unsafe water and so that was where he got his heart to start Charity Water. But here's what's interesting. Scott Harrison went back and started this nonprofit, and he had never started a nonprofit before. But you know what he was good at? Getting people to spend money on what he wanted them to spend money on. His 10 years as a nightclub promoter, those skills came in handy to start this charity. It was the very skills that he had used running away from God that God used to help him grow Charity Water into one of the largest nonprofit organizations in the world. Now, not every prodigal story is dramatic as Scott Harrison's. I understand that. But I think Scott Harrison's story is a great reminder that God is at work in everything. That no matter how far we run, no matter how many mistakes we make, that God is a God that redeems our mistakes and chases after us. And so parents in the room, if you're in a season of waiting on a prodigal, I just want you to be encouraged and know that God is very much at work in their season of life. Maybe for others of us, we just feel like we're in a season where nothing's happening. Maybe we're stuck in a job that we don't love. Maybe we're divorced. Maybe we're widowed. Maybe we're in a season where there's just nothing happening and it's frustrating and we feel like we're just waiting. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you that God's not wasting your season. That he's at work in what you're going through. That it may not feel like it in the moment, but that God is very much active and involved in your season of life. In the waiting God is very much working. Young people, maybe you feel like you're stuck. You had your whole life planned out and then a pandemic happened. And now you're just trying to like put the pieces back together and figure out a way forward. And it's frustrating. I get it. But know this, that the season of life you've just been through, God will not waste. If you let him, he will work in that season and allow something good to come from it. In your waiting, God is, in fact, very much working in your life. And the seasons of waiting, are our job is to simply ask God for wisdom to know when we need to act, when we need to step forward out of our comfort zone, and when we need to be patient. There are certainly seasons of life where God gives us opportunities, and we got to step out of our comfort zone into those opportunities. But there are also seasons where we just have to sit back and be patient and trust that God is at work. And obviously, it, it can be difficult to figure out which season we're in or, or what's an opportunity and when we need to be patient. But I will say that I would rather be patient and trust God than try to break down a door that I'm not supposed to open. We see this play out in the life of David in the Old Testament. David was promised by God through the prophet Samuel that he would become king of Israel. And then he would wait for 15 years to become king. 15 years he waited. Remember that the next time you're in a long line at the grocery store. 
15 years David waited. And it wasn't like God just laid it all out and David was like, you're going to become, God was like, hey David, you're going to become king in 15 years. Here's the, here's the, you know, the track you're on, you know, read these books and do these assignments and in 15 years you'll become king. No, it was more like the current King Saul was trying to kill David. And it was like, hey David, you're going to become king if you can stay alive long enough to see it. And so Saul is jealous of David. He's trying to kill David. And at one point, David runs away and he hides out in these caves. He's been promised by God he's going to be king. And instead he finds himself in these dark, gloomy caves, scared for his life. You ever been in a season like David's? A season of life where what you felt you'd been promised by God and reality did not match? And maybe you felt Loneliness or bewilderment, anxiety, sadness, depression. And you're just so far from the life you imagined. Well, that's where David finds himself. Promised he's going to be king, hiding in a cave. And then Saul shows up and David has an opportunity to become king. Saul is looking for David. He wants to kill him. And he walks into the cave that David is hiding. He doesn't know David's there. And David has this perfect opportunity to kill Saul or to have some of the men that are with him kill Saul. Kill Saul, he becomes king. And David doesn't. Why? Because even though God promised him that he would be king, David knew that that was not the means by which he should become king. That wasn't the path to getting what God promised. And so David refused to kill King Saul. And it's very possible David wrote the words of Psalm 27 as he was hiding in the cave. Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. David writes, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. And wait for the Lord. In our dark days, sometimes we just need to, like David, remind ourselves that we'll see the goodness of the Lord. We can take heart that God is at work in our waiting. David waited, and eventually he became king. Last year, I joined this uh, Facebook group. It was 30 Days to Killer Abs. Why do you laugh? I like eggnog, okay? Just trying to fight off the dad bod as long as possible. So I joined this group, and uh, they had you download an app, right, that you're supposed to follow to work your abs. And the app had, like, a rest day built in every, like, two or three days. And uh, I started noticing that people were commenting in the group and saying, ah, I didn't rest. Like, I just, I worked out any, worked my abs out anyway. Like, I'm working out my abs every day. Like, no rest days for me. And I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I did minor in physical education in college. And yes, it was more than archery and bowling. It's also golf (laughs) and weight class. And I know enough to know that after a really hard workout, you need to rest. Like it's literally in resting that your muscles recover and, and become stronger. And so I messaged the group and I said, hey, love the energy, love the excitement, but you actually need the rest days for maximum results. And uh, one of the administrators of the group commented under my comment and said, yeah, 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 we know that, but this group is about working your abs for 30 straight days without a break. And so then I commented and I said, well, then you should rename this group 30 Days to Absolute Stupidity. (laughs) 
Okay, I didn't write that. I'm a pastor. I just thought it. But I did leave the group. You need the rest days. Like, the rest days are important. Like, after a hard workout, your muscles are hard at work as you rest, repairing and strengthening themselves. The outward inactivity allows for inner work. The outward inactivity allows for inner work. Sometimes the seasons of life where God seems the most silent and there seems to be the least outward activity are actually the seasons of life for the greatest interpersonal growth. This past summer, uh, I went through a, a dark season, if you will. Uh, I felt like God was distant and silent, removed. Um, I had anxiety, I had panic attacks, was depressed. And uh, for 30-some years of my life, I had never experienced anything like that. So it was a very, uh, the past few years have been a very new uh, season for me. I never, never experienced anything like that before the pandemic. And so this summer, to have all of that happen, it was, it was a lot. And, uh, and I just prayed. I was like, all right, God, you can take this away, right? Like, let's, let's just snap our fingers and take this away. But God didn't. And of course, I did all the right things, right? Like, I took all the steps that I could. I saw a counselor, and uh, I was praying and reading my Bible and going on walks and talking to my wife and other trusted people about it, right? Like, I was trying to do all the right things, but nothing was happening. At least it felt like nothing was happening. God wasn't just magically taking it away. And over time, like over time, I, uh, things slowly begin to get better. I can tell you I'm in a much better place now. But here, here's my point. Here's what's interesting to me. At the time this summer, it felt like God wasn't doing anything. It felt like nothing was happening. It felt very frustrating and pointless. But now, having come out of that season, as I look back at this past summer, here's what I've noticed. I feel like I grew the most through this past summer of difficulty than all of the easy summers before it combined. Like now, coming out of it, I can see how God was working. I can see how much more empathy and compassion I have for people that have mental health challenges. I can see that my, my disciplines, my spiritual disciplines have improved, that I'm much, much better at with my spiritual disciplines. I can see all of these different ways that God was working through my difficult summer, that God was very much active and involved, even though at the time it felt like nothing was happening and God was distant. And so as we come to this Christmas season, I just want to challenge those of you in the room that feel like you're in a season of waiting where God is distant and removed and not paying attention and not involved. I just want to challenge you that it's possible that the very season you're in where it feels like God is the most distant is actually a season where God is very much at work in your life. You can't see it yet, but hang in there and trust that God is at work. He doesn't cause all the bad things that happen in our life, but he does promise to work through them, to be involved, to be present, to be active, and to use them for good if we'll hang in there and be faithful. Maybe some of us this week, as an act of worship to God, may simply want to repeat David's words to God every day this week. The ones I read in Psalm 27. Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So we wrap up today. I want to uh, share with you a, a cool opportunity that we have at Northbrook um, to celebrate Advent. Uh, this year at Northbrook, we have produced a Northbrook guide through Advent. Um, it has a little summary of each week, and it has some questions for further reflection. Uh, this would be a great guide to go through as a family or with friends, uh, life group. Um, and so I want to encourage you to grab one of these. They're out in the lobby uh, after the service. Or if you're watching online, you can find a digital copy online. Or if you forget today, you can go online and find a digital copy. Um, we also, for families with small children, we also have a Northbrook activity kit um, to help your children to go through the Advent season. And so if you have small kids at home, um, this has some crafts and some ways that you can uh, help your children understand the meaning of Advent each week. And so if you're a family, I encourage you to grab one of these. They're for free out in the lobby. Um, and the Northbrook Advent Guide is in this, so you don't need to grab this. It's all in here for you. Um, so I want to encourage you, if you uh, have young children at home, grab this. And maybe if you've never really done much with Advent as a family, maybe start a new tradition this uh, Christmas of walking through Advent together as a family and uh, together as a church. You bow your heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the Christmas story. I thank you for sending Jesus. And in this story, as we, as we see the nation of Israel patiently or maybe not so patiently waiting for you to send Jesus, I thank you that we see that in all things you're working. That our hope is not in the circumstances we find ourselves in. Our hope is that you don't waste the things we go through. You don't waste the seasons of waiting. So Father, right now I pray for individuals in the room that are in a season that is difficult, that they find themselves waiting for you to do something, waiting for something to change. Father, may they feel your very real presence and love and may they be confident that you are at work in what they're going through. May they find hope in your goodness and your love this Christmas season. In Jesus' name. Amen.